Welcome back to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. My name is Eric. In this episode, I got to speak with Brent Kachuba, the founder of SpotGamma.com. Now, SpotGamma is a financial insights company. They have a proprietary methodology of viewing stocks and indexes through the lens of the options market. I think it's incredible stuff. I'm a member of their uh, of theirs right now, and I'm really kind of getting into the content. They have a great YouTube channel as well. If you're looking to sort of up your options game, I definitely think you should check them out. And what we're going to talk about uh, is several of the concepts that they use with their proprietary technology and methodology. And it's going to really, I think, give you an under the hood look about how the stock market really works, what really drives some of the moves of the stock market. I don't think you're going to want to miss any of this. So listen to the whole thing. Now, before we get started, though, you need to know everything on this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial advice. This podcast is supported by listeners and traders over on my Patreon page where members receive my latest research, education, daily updates. So there's, there's even an option for alerts if you're interested for SPX options trading. So come see me over on Patreon if you'd like more information. And that is patreon.com slash vertical spread options trading and you can find me over there. Now, let's get into how the market really works with Brent from Spot Gamma, and we're starting right now. All right, Brent from Spot Gamma, welcome to the show. How's it going? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, I'm glad to have you here. Um, I've been going through some of your content. I've seen some of your stuff on YouTube, and I'm um, continuing to kind of digest some of the content. But before we get into all things Spot Gamma, um, can you talk me through a little bit of your history? One of the emails, welcome emails you sent had a, had a really cool kind of background of you and how you got started and kind of how you ended up in Spot Gamma. Could you give our listeners just kind of a the quick version of your sort of experience and history with options trading? Sure. Uh, so I'm a little sad to say I'm coming up on 20 years. I say sad because uh, I don't feel that old, but I have 20 <laughs> years of, I would call institutional trading experience. So I worked at uh, Bank of America and Credit Suisse as a broker in equities and derivatives. And then I had a uh, uh, some time with Wolverine, who's just options market maker. I was a broker there for about five years. And then I went to a family office and that's where I started to build models for options trading, specifically in the S&P 500. I was a trader slash analyst for a portfolio manager there. Uh, and unfortunately, that didn't work out. But I ended up having all these options models that I thought were really good and could apply to a whole bunch of different strategies. And so I had all those models and the pandemic hit. And uh, that led to a lot of changes for everybody. So that's when I started pushing the models online. And uh, that was the birth of Spot Gamma. So it's, it's those models and that experience that really goes into what we uh, produce every day for, for our members. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's definitely or the things that I'm learning are definitely not in a lot of the options books that mm -hmm. I've read. You know, one of the I mean, you're, it's it's called Spot Gamma, and I know as a retail trader, when when we learned about Gamma, it was more of you know one of the Greeks mm -hmm. and its relation to the change of delta. You know, as, as the price moves around. Um, so, can you kind of uh, talk to me a little bit about? the way you are seeing gamma or the way you are using gamma and how that relates to the, the dealers and market makers? Yeah, I'd love to do that. There are really two ways that people primarily look at the market nowadays. It's technical analysis and fundamental analysis, right? So it hit the stocks hit 200 day moving average or, you know, the price to earnings ratio on Tesla is too high or too low, whatever it may be. And so we've been under this idea now of positional analysis and that's kind of what we do. And when I say positional analysis, what we what we're doing is we're looking at how options are laid out. That is, what is the open interest, say in the S and P five hundred or a stock like Tesla or Netflix? And when you look at that open interest, 
we all know that options need to be hedged out, right? Because you can't be a market maker, a dealer, and have on all these options positions uh, and not have that those positions hedged out. And as we all know, because we all know Delta and Gamma and Vega, and there's all these, you know, Greeks, right? All those Greeks are describe how options values change. And so you can use the open interest. You can take the open interest in something like the S&P 500, and you can apply the Greeks to understand how a market maker like a Citadel or a dealer like JP Morgan would have to adjust their hedging positions uh, based on all this open interest, right? If you're, for example, uh, Citadel and you have a whole bunch of AMC call buyers firing orders into your Robinhood account. It's Citadel who's arguably selling all of those calls, right? I think Citadel alone does something like 45% of options flow, and there's another you know, six or uh, seven large market makers out there, right? So most of the time when yeah. you're trading, you're trading against what we call a liquidity provider like a Citadel or a Susquehanna or something like that. So we know that if Wall Street Bets all says, hey, let's all go, go buy call options in AMC, that Citadel selling those call options to them, right? That means that Citadel short calls. Well, we all know that if you're short calls and the market goes up, you're in for a lot of pain. So you can look at Delta as one measure and say, okay, for all the orders that come in, I would measure the Delta on each individual trade. And that tells me how many shares of stock I need to buy. And then further using Gamma, you can say, okay, look, based on our position, if the stock goes up 2%, I'm already Delta hedged, but if the stock goes up another 2%, I need to buy more deltas, and that's what gamma measures, right? So right. this is just kind of a quick example of the type of analysis we're doing. We're trying to figure out how those dealers are going to move equities and options, and and a lot of that is not only based on the underlying price movement, but also how many, how large is the options uh, expiration that's taking place, for example, today? Um, how might that affect the dealer hedging flows? How might that affect the market, or how might that affect the individual stock? Yeah. That's super interesting because you're so you're measuring what the, the hedging impact is what you referred referred to it. So when a ton of whatever it is puts are being bought, the market makers essentially got to uh, uh, get delta neutral. Is that what they're trying to do ultimately? Right. Um, and so you're measuring that. And can you kind of explain how that can exacerbate a move when like I know Tesla. So just you know for the listeners, we're recording this on uh, April 22nd. And yesterday, Tesla had a, a big gap up with the earnings. Ultimately, it faded a little bit because the market faded from the Fed or whatever. But um, can you talk a bit, a little bit about how buying of call options or whatever? And we saw that, I think it was last year, we saw um, a, a huge move up. Can you talk about how um, when heavy call buying or, or whatever example you want to use, how that can exacerbate the move in the, in the underlying? Yeah, Absolutely. We did a video on this yesterday. So if you go to YouTube and type in Spot Gamma Tesla, we show visually how this worked in Tesla. But essentially what, they, yeah. what happened in our view was that as the market opened, Tesla gapped somewhere from around 975 at the close of trading on uh, Wednesday. Let's <laughs> get my days mixed yeah. up. And it gapped up to just under 1100 bucks at the open yesterday. That's Thursday. And if you look, you can see that there was a rush of call buying immediately when the market opened. And that we think helped really propel the price of Tesla stock up to that 1100 point. And the reason that might propel the stock price even higher is because, as we sort of mentioned before, as people are coming in to buy shares of Tesla stock, there are market makers and dealers who are selling those calls, right? And the way that they would hedge themselves is to buy shares of stock. 
Okay. Now, market makers and dealers are not in the in the game of taking directional bets. They are there to collect spread, right? They want to collect the bid ask spread. They're trying to make a small amount of money on an individual trade, and they're there to trade a lot. They're not there to say, look, t Tesla's undervalued or overvalued, or I think it's going higher, or I think it's going lower. So what they do is, as soon as these calls come in, they need to buy stock to hedge themselves. And that can force, when, when there's enough calls trading, that, that buying to hedge, right, that the market makers do can force the stock higher. And right. what's interesting is, at the peak of the price in Tesla yesterday, we saw traders move from buying calls to selling calls, and they spent the rest of the day selling calls. And the moment at which they switched to selling calls is the exact top in Tesla's stock price. So just as dealers needed to buy to maintain their hedges when the stock went up, conversely, when traders come in and start heavily selling calls, they were selling a lot of next week's, that's uh, April 29th, like 1150, right? The 1200 calls. Mm -hmm. When they start selling those calls, dealers are buying calls back and they can therefore sell back all that stock they bought, right? They're suddenly uh, what we call, it. basically the term for this is a negative gamma position, right? And simply what that means is that to hedge, they have to hedge in the same direction as the market. So if you're if you are in a negative gamma position with your own uh, in your own portfolio, if you're short calls, you need to start buying stock to keep your hedge up, right? And if the stock starts to come down, uh, then you need to start selling stock, right? That that trading in the same direction as the market is a negative gamma position. Uh, conversely, if you had a positive gamma position, you'd be selling as the market goes up uh, and buying as the market comes down, right? That it, it's it's a it's a standard sort of calculation. Gotcha. I, one of the, I don't want to call it an indicator, but one of the data points you share in in your, I don't know if it's the founder's note or it's in the portal somewhere, it's called the spot gamut index. And is that, um, and I might be getting my terms mixed up because I'm still new at this part, but um, you mentioned the, the positive or negative gamma position. Is that what that is or is that a different... Yeah. To, is that what that okay so when i so as a, you know i typically trade a lot of spx and mm -hmm. a lot of short-term stuff um i i used to trade a little bit longer stuff uh 30 60 day last year but then with the correction i've kind of really narrowed down to shorter term stuff right. uh one week or less but um so when you're looking at something like an index and and you have these levels uh, that are like you know positive a positive gamma index or or a negative gamma index. What is that telling me about the market, mm -hmm. and 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 what's the duration that that would be uh, significant? Is, is it very short term, um, or like how far out are you looking at? You mentioned open interest and things like yeah. that. What's the horizon of that kind of calculation? I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic question. So. There are fundamentally two things that we offer to our members every single day. And we do, we write a, a note where we analyze this. It comes out around seven in the morning. But essentially what we're, what we do is we produce a volatility estimate. So how much do we think the market is going to move today? And then we also have a five day volatility estimate. So that's one volatility. And the second one is su support and resistance zones. And those support mm -hmm. and resistance zones are based on where essentially where big open interest exists. Uh, and let's just focus on the S and P 500. Sure. And so, what we do is we have a daily view, right? And that's typically in the context of a larger view that's usually out 30 days in time. And the reason it's 30 days in time is because that's where the third Friday, as you know, is the big options expiration typically. Third Friday is often when a lot of things roll over, uh, bigger positions roll over. Now, what's happened in this market, it's funny you mentioned that you've moved shorter. Most of the market, most of the traders have also moved to much shorter dated <laughs> options. So oh, where okay, we used good. to get <laughs> where we used to get a kind of quote unquote large expiration every 30 days, 
Now what's happening is the positions are getting very concentrated in typically Friday's expiration, obviously, mm-hmm. if, it, if it's single stocks. But we even saw this past Wednesday, this two days ago, there's an unusually large expiration in the SPX, and there's another unusually large one today. So the what's happening is the overall options position, right, complex has, shrunk, has shrunken down. Like, it, it's gotten smaller. And so the concentration of these uh, – of, of day traders or shorter term traders is, is boosting the, the relative size of the market, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, but, but so back to sort of our view. So we will come out and, and we offer this uh, view on volatility. And that's an interesting view of volatility because if you are an option trader, if you're a short term option trader, you obviously want to position yourself for volatility, right? How much do you think the market's going to move today? What are the support and resistance lines? Do I want to sell, you know, butterflies or call flies? Do I want to trade positionally? You know, obviously you're concerned about how much the market will move today without a directional bias. So that's one of the one of the key things. And the second one, as you mentioned, are these support and resistance zones that you know you can use to possibly trade directionally. Uh, just as an aside, a lot of our subscribers or members are futures traders. They don't trade options at all, but they use the mm-hmm. data uh, because they want to know how these big hedging flows will come to the market and, and push the S and P around. Gotcha. Um, but if you if you're going to look at let's just say the positive and negative gamma dynamic, you mentioned the gamma index. So the value of that is to determine how much volatility is going to be in the market. And that is driven largely by how big call positions are. This is in the SP 500 versus put positions. If you think back to last year, the average move in the S&P 500 was a lot smaller. There was a lot less volatility in the market than there is this year. And if you look at the size of call positions last year in the S&P 500, you can imagine those were significantly higher than, uh, than they are this year. And in fact, this year it's mainly dominated uh, the, the positions that exist when you when you weight them by gamma, they're mostly puts. And so, when you have dealers hedging against calls, they're typically in what we call a positive gamma position. So that means when the market is going up, they are selling futures as the market goes up, and if the market comes back down, they start to buy futures. And and what happens is then when that flow gets big enough, that compresses volatility, right? Because you have this big entity that's selling when the market goes up and buying when the market goes down, and that kind of pins the market in. Okay. Conversely, when you have puts, we think that dealers are mainly short puts, which puts them in what's called a negative gamma position. And that means that if the market is dropping, obviously, if you're short puts when the market is dropping, you need to start selling futures to hedge yourself, right? You want to be right. short puts on a day like today when the market is dropping. So what you do is you sell futures. And then as soon as the market turns and starts to come back up, you got to buy those futures back. So right. that is so. What you're hap- what happens then is dealers are expanding volatility because the market's going down, they're going to short. When the market goes back up, they're going to buy back, and you get much larger swings in the market. You get much more movement. So that's the gotcha. context of what's happening. Again, with calls, we view that's a positive gamma position for dealers. There's less volatility, and when there's a lot of puts, you get a lot more volatility, and, and that put-heavy environment is what we have now. Very cool. Yeah, you mentioned um, support and resistance levels. And I'm going to give you some kudos here. So back to this week, um, I think it was, I forget which note it was. Cause, and I'm really enjoying your notes. We get them both before and after market, which is pretty cool. Excellent. And it kind of setting those levels. And, and one of the things, and I, I think it maybe it was Wednesday's note, you talked about um, expecting resistance around 4,500. Uh, makes sense, big round number, but you, you use the term call wall and put wall. And, um, and just, you know, as an aside, you know, the market, I was I was actually sh- uh, short call spreads on Wednesday and we did gap up uh, and I think we pushed to 45, 
12 or 13 yep. or so. And then, you know, pretty much rolled over and died. And, and as we're recording this, I don't know what the market is now, but market's 45, down. 4340, yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're down, you know, 150 points maybe. Um, so, you know, that was, that was a great, um, I don't want to call it a call because it's really just the data. But t- tell me a little bit about the call wall and the put wall and why those, those levels are uh, significant. Sure. So what the call wall and put wall explicitly are telling us is where are the largest concentration of calls? What what strike that is has the largest position uh, concentration of calls. And then the put wall is obviously the largest concentration of puts. And the idea there is that those are upper and lower bounds of the market. So call wall, obviously the upper bound and put wall is a lower bound. And because there's such big positions there, we think that invokes a lot of hedging flow. So in the case of Yesterday, uh, it was an interesting market because there was a lot of positions at the SPX in 4,500, but there was even more positioned in the 450 spider calls. And these were also very short data positions. So the 4512 that you mentioned, actually, if you look at a chart of spiders, it coincides almost to the penny with 450 being the top in spiders. Mm. So it's kind of a funny thing where a lot of people will watch SPX or they trade the futures, but they won't necessarily pick up pick up on the price of the spiders right which actually yeah. nowadays gets a lot of options flow right so in general what we view happening there is when the market gaps up into that call wall area that you mentioned was 45 like roughly 10 or 12 it was 450 spiders the dealers are likely to start selling a lot of futures at that point right because if if dealers are in fact long calls at that level when the market jumps up they're going to sell a bunch of futures and you get this gappy move higher so there's a bunch of futures to sell and there's very little liquidity underneath is just a function of the way that the market is currently positioned and so you get kind of this vacuum back down uh we had 4550 as a support area for yesterday and we kind of we got very quickly back down to that four, 4450 yeah. level and then you know yeah. an onslaught of fed comments and bam we're back down all the way to 4500 so there's yeah. there's a in general, in the current market, there's there's just, a, I would say, a dearth of options position. There's not much going on between 4,400 and 4,500. And so you just have this void of space, right, where there's low liquidity and, and prices can just really fluctuate rapidly through that zone. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting to see that. Um, I admittedly took my short off at 4,475 because um, – so I didn't <laughs> I didn't get the full, uh, the full move down because we had we – had, I, you know, I, I, I look at some of those quarter strikes as potential support and resistance mm-hmm. and, um, and the market, you know, in the morning was actually pretty strong. It seemed like, and, and if for a minute there, it looked like, okay, we're going to maybe hold up here and maybe we yeah. can. Um, and I think the, the fed exacerbated that move in the afternoon, but, but yeah. anyway, when, when something for my, you know, just my, my own thing, when, it, you know, it went against me and I got back out at, you know, slightly break even slight profit so i was like okay i'm good because at this point it was kind of no man's land with the fed coming out so i i took my short off but uh but yeah that was a great um that was a great level and and thanks for kind of clearing clarifying (laughs) how how that how that works yeah yesterday uh we wrote about this in our morning note too that um so, so our basic view of the rally from earlier this week was that there was a vix expiration on wednesday and yeah. it mm-hmm. seemed like tr- the dealer community or, or the, the traders that are active in the VIX were sort of hell-bent on shorting volatility and getting the VIX to essentially expire at 20. And what was fascinating yeah. is that flow started on Tuesday afternoon, 
And everyone was kind of like looking around wondering, like, why is the market rallying on Tuesday? Like, I think rates actually, the 10-year almost hit 3%. So there was like no clear reason, right? No one said anything. There's no signal uh, as to why the market should rally. And what's so fascinating is the VIX expires on 9 a.m. on Wednesday. And at that moment, that moment coincided with uh, the low in the VIX. And so basically what we think there is traders started to short uh, volatility, right? They're selling VIX futures. They're they're selling spiders. They're selling very short-term, you know, same-day expiration, excuse me, uh, S&P trades or S&P contracts. And that VIX expiration led to this, ultimately, this rally. It, we think everything is kind mm -hmm. of a feedback loop. When you start selling the VIX products or shorting volatility, obviously the VIX is based on S&P options, right? And so there's a feedback loop of shorting VIX, like shorting VIX futures that can make its way into VIX options and that can boost therefore the index itself right um and what's so fascinating then is you also had like i mentioned before uh 20 percent uh or 25 percent of total s p gamma expiring on wednesday so what that basically tells us is there was a whole bunch of very concentrated positions in the 4450 to 4500 area that were expiring mm. on wednesday night and we believe sometimes that can have a pinning effect so basically you've got the market levered up or the market price jumped up because we had this VIX expiration of people selling very short dated uh, volatility. That boosted the market up. We had further selling of volatility in the S&P 500 that kind of held the market up Wednesday into the close. And then at the close of Wednesday, all of that stuff expires. And that basically pulled the rug for support on Thursday and you and, yeah. and, and therefore when selling started that didn't mean that the selling was going to start but when the selling started there's just no support there's no liquidity there to, to sort of hold things up yeah um, that's interesting yeah I remember earlier in the week I, I'm I, I brought up the chart the VIX uh, I think on Monday it opened around 24 and a half and then yeah it was just down huge for like three days and um and I don't I'd have to bring up the the S and P yeah, you know, it was an inverse move, but, um, that was kind of interesting and, and a little, you know, I, I'm better now about parsing out headlines and not mm -hmm. connecting them. Uh, but this seems like what you're saying is, is, you know, way more accurate is like, this was really why these moves happened. And now, now that we're past that expiration, the, the market can, I guess they're resetting and sort of getting new, yeah. new horizon or outlook. Is that, is that how that works? Yeah, that, that that is really how we view it. I mean, there we have this saying that headlines matter more in negative gamma environments, and it's because of the dealer positioning in some ways. Because the because it's a put heavy market, and dealers have what we call a negative gamma position. If a headline comes out that that like the headline algo readers right start to sell a little bit, dealers are going to start selling along with that, and that exacerbates the volatility here. There's a bunch of options positions now at the 4,500, uh, excuse me, at the 4,400 level. So the fact that the market just kind of vacuumed all the way back down, admittedly, we didn't think we were going to get a two plus percent drop yesterday. But yeah. when it happens, yeah. we have a way of sort of viewing and say, okay, this actually makes some sense, right? So I want to be sort of distinct here and saying like, we didn't necessarily know the market was going to sell off yesterday, right? But there's a lot of people who are searching for, well, why did the market sell off 2%? And we go, well, we didn't think it was going to happen that it would sell all the way off 2%, but it makes sense given the environment, right? Yeah. Uh, it's not just that like, well, was the was the rate expectation more or less or was there some other kind of like, you know, event happening in Russia that I can make up a narrative for? You can simply look at the market and say, look, the positioning is very weak here. Uh, the liquidity is very weak. Dealers have to sell when the market goes down. And so suddenly we have this vacuum. Uh, it, it was a it was a very tricky market over the last few days. And I think a lot of people 
we're, we're trying to assign different narratives to a lot of things that are happening. And at the end of the yeah. day, we have very concentrated options positions that are changing every single day and we have very low liquidity. And so you just get the market sort of flinging around all over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah. It sounds like what, what, you know, it's making a lot of sense because, you know, just from, from what Powell came out and said about doing a 50 point basis, like, like that's not really new that like, that that's not priced in. That was, you know, what I thought would have been priced in. Now, yeah. had, had he come out and said 75, maybe. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe it's kind of confirming, you know, uh, whatever the, the previous, you know, yeah. it seems like every I mean, day is like a Fed, Fed day now. But You're 100% right there. And I think a lot of those comments were more hawkish than people expected, right? But but right. To, the, to the point of driving the market down 2%. Well, no. Is that the reason that we maybe should have sold off a little? And if if we had more calls positioned in the market at around forty five fifty to forty five hundred, I think that the that the sell off would have been uh, quite a bit more more uh, tepid, so to speak. But yeah, I, I'd like to I'd like to also you, you mentioned another thing about options expirations and why they matter. If you look at major lows over the past several years and even the past several months, you can tie them directly to major options expirations. So to give you an example, I don't know if you remember in 2018, December of 2018, there's a, mm. there was a big sell-off, right? And there's a famous uh, Christmas Eve phone call of Mnuchin yeah. calling the banks and yeah. trying to prop the market up, whatever. And that Monday was the low, right? Well, that Monday was following a very, very large Friday expiration where humongous numbers of put options expired. Mm. And so, again, there's a narrative ascribed to, to Mnuchin calling the banks on, on that Monday, but... But the low actually preceded the uh, fr this Friday expiration where humongous put positions expired. And our view is that when you get these big put positions expires, you ha expiring, you have all these dealers who are short. Uh, they're short puts, right? They're hedged with short futures or other types of instruments that protect them on the downside. And when all of those puts expire, they can then cover their trades, right? They can cover their short yeah. hedges. They don't necessarily need all this tail risk hedges anymore. And so that can ref – that helps the market to bounce. You saw the same thing in March of 2020. Uh, the, the COVID crash low in March was the Monday after a very large options expiration. If you mm. fast forward to yeah. January, this past January, uh, there was a very unusual, uh, hu huge January expiration that was the result of very deep in the money call position. So if you think about a lot of people, like this is the Pelosi trade, they buy leaps, right? And, right. and because the market had done so well, it went you know, up 20 or 30%, there was these deep in the money calls that all expired. Well, once these deep in the money calls expire, if dealers are short those calls versus long stock, once those calls expire, the dealers aren't short calls anymore, but they have all this long stock they don't need. So they sell, they can sell stock. So the January low was the Monday after options expiration. Wow. Now, fascinating again, if you look at the timing of the March low of just a few weeks ago here, uh, it's tied right again to, to expiration. In this case, the move happened into expiration uh, as opposed to the Monday after. And some of that is also tied to the, uh, the FOMC being that same day. But the point here is that these expirations, when you look at them, when you look at the biggest expirations and their impact, you can see, you can see how uh, yeah. the changing or shifting of large options positions can, can impact stocks. And do those tend to be the quarterly ex expirations? Are those more of the 
the bigger yeah. ones. Are, okay. The, the quarterly expirations are are the largest. There's a, there's a lot of right. very large funds that will systematically roll their hedges. The famous one is there's a J.P. Morgan collar trade where they where they sell an out of the money call to buy a put spread. Yeah. Uh, but there's other funds also that just buy outrights. It's big in the insurance community and, and annuities and things like that. Yeah. So those quarterlies tend to be the the biggest expirations. Uh, but obviously, you can get some fairly concentrated, particularly in single stocks, uh, weekly expirations, particularly around earnings and things like that. And, right. And then, you know, and then the monthlies as well. Yeah, I um trying to remember where I read this, but um, I know from like a seasonality perspective, um, the market is you know, somewhat stronger between March and, you know, um, March, April, like that, that mm-hmm. following quarter. And so something I read, which I think is in line with what you're saying is, is if, if they're hedging at, uh, you know, big institutions are hedging near the, uh, using the quarterly expirations and, you know, at the turn of the year, if they're using, let's say March as their, you know, um, their expiration, um, once those hedges are off, then the market can resume, right? Because um, they're not they're not being I want to say dragged down or pinned, but I mean in this case, you know, we're in the middle of a correction, so it kind of just tied right into yeah. uh, to that. But um, yeah. wow, fascinating stuff. And, and a lot of it is is also a, a function of of time decay and volatility, the sensitivity to volatility. So some of your listeners here may be familiar with the idea of charm and vanna. And all those terms are describing is is what is the change of delta, right, to time decay, that's charm. And then what is the change in delta due to a change in implied volatility, that, that's called vanna. And basically all that simply means is if you're short a whole bunch of put options, right, um, every day that passes, those puts, assuming the market's not doing anything, all else equal, every day that passes, those puts lose value. And that leads you to be able to buy back some of your shorts, right? If I'm short a thousand puts and a thousand futures, uh, that expire next week. Well, every day that passes, those puts lose value. So I can start to buy back some of my short futures, right? And that can help to booster the market or, 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 or push the market up. And the same thing with implied volatility. If I'm short a bunch of puts and implied volatility spikes, well, that put option is going to go in my face, right? And so I need to sell more futures to hedge myself. Conversely, if I'm short puts and the VIX goes from 30 down to 15, well, my puts probably just got obliterated, right? And I'm short them. So I don't need such a big short futures position. I can buy back some of those futures. So the change in implied volatility and the passing of time are also these these lead to dealer flows, right? The same way that it affects, you know, a call spread that you have in your portfolio. Uh, you know, if you're just short a naked put, even if it's just one put, it's the same general idea. You just apply it to a much larger position. Right. So a couple of days ago, I attended a CBO, CBOE webinar um about the new weekly expirations that are coming out they already have um tuesday's already out and i think um that came out on the 18th and then the thursday expirations are coming i think may 11th is is what it said and so they had some interesting stats about the the appetite for the retail trader with weekly options and how the zero to five day expirations are really um the, the volume is starting to come up and and then they also talked about um, global trading hours versus regular session, and and I think it's broker dependent on who can trade what. But you know, are we are we headed into a world where I can just wake up and trade SPX options <laughs> like at one in the morning? Is is it going to be like futures? Or I, I just wanted to get your general take on the, the new expirations and and if you know if any impact you think that would have on 
you know, some of the stuff you're seeing now. Um, what are you thinking about those? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> no, it's, it's not a loaded question. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the, um, in a way, allowing people to trade, you know, 24-7, I guess a lot of people would, would say, look, I can more effectively manage my risk because I have more options now. And I think in, in a yeah. case or, or in general, I, I agree with that. Um, what, what I do think the, the issue is is that when you – options are leverage, right? That, that's essentially how I view them. When right. you buy a call option, a 25 delta call option for 100 bucks, you are foisting – on a dealer or a counterparty, several thousand dollars worth of risk, right? Because uh, 25 Delta on, you know, a thousand dollars Tesla is, is quite a bit of money, right? So you are now allowing a lot of these small positions to come in and out of the market very actively. Uh, and that could exacerbate volatility, right? Cause it is just leverage. Um, it, you know, I, I think one of the most popular strategies there are now are selling, you know, same day expiration in the S and P and typically people go, okay, I'm going to sell the next closest. Okay. So for today, that's Wednesday or whatever it is, or I'm going to mm-hmm. sell Mondays and that kind of thing. And so adding in these extra expirations does help that crowd. I don't think it helps like a hedge fund manage risk any better. Um, I think it allows for more day trading speculative activity is really what I think mm. the, the new expirations do. It's a, it's a, it's a way to generate more revenue for exchanges. And I don't know, it, yeah. it adds opportunity for retail traders or people that like to trade the, the one or two day expirations. But what it also can do is, is present the opportunity for volatility to get exacerbated. For example, if everyone is selling puts on a day like today, right? It's, it, if, if, you push through that strike that everyone's short, then suddenly they all got to they all got to cover right really quick. And when they cover, that leads to dealers having to offset their hedges. So that can suddenly create what we call jump risk, and that makes the market move a heck of a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, I think that the, the extra expirations will will add to volatility. Uh, it'll okay. add to market volume because there's more opportunity to trade. But but I think it sort of fractures uh, risk for some for some of the dealers and, and market makers. Right now, they got to worry about hedging around all these expirations rather than, you know, three. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned spy was more heavily used, but they're not going five days a week. So, you know, I, I'm just wondering if, if, if they will go five days a week too. You know, I, I think it's just point. the, yeah, I, th- I think that's the, it's sort of like the pilot, right? SPX starts, it's a, it's yeah. a single exchange. It's a, it's a more of a professional, I don't want to say professional, but institutions typically use SPX versus SPY. And so yeah. I, I think that's kind of like the, the uh the floating you know the, the trial balloon they float it up there and see how it goes and um and and the spx volume is fairly consistent if yeah. you look at it it's it's a cycle it's related to the 30-day expiration the size generally doesn't change in terms of open interest the volume stays fairly consistent even throughout the pandemic you know whereas if you look at the change in open interest in like qqq or spiders those have that, those the activity in those places has grown a lot and i think a lot of that is due to the fact that it, it costs less premium, right? It's lower risk on a per contract basis to get involved with spiders and queues than it does SPX. So it's accessible to more people. Right. Yeah. So I think that's why you get bigger volume spikes. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'll, I want to get back to uh, spot game. I had a couple more questions. Um, you have a couple things that I'm still learning about. Give me a, give me a quick overview of the hero indicator. And, and then I want to talk a little bit about the equity hub and, and how I can use that. I'm going to get selfish here and, and figure out how to, how to <laughs> no, get it. Uh, well, I got you here. Yeah. I love to talk about it. So the hero is a new tool we launched in, in March. And what that stands for is the hedging impact of real time options. So 
to put it simply, for every single options trade that comes in in real time for around 130 different names right now, uh, we look at what the estimated dealer hedging impact is of that trade, and we and we run that over the whole day. So you can see, and I mentioned this uh, earlier in our conversation about Tesla, we saw call buyers coming in, and then we saw traders switch to selling calls. That was all shown through our hero indicator. So we show the size of the estimated hedge and the direction of the hedge, i.e. is it a positive delta trading or negative delta trading. And the idea here is that you can see in real time when call squeezes are taking place, because you can see, look, a lot of people are coming in to buy calls and vice versa. So we get a lot of traders that will watch that flow because it can be very interesting and insightful. For example, today, the market is down a, a percent and a half, right? And what I would be watching for are when do traders start to close puts? If they're continuing to buy puts throughout this event, that that's telling me that people are positioning for a longer term drawdown, right? But if I suddenly see, look, the market is around support and our support level was 43.35 today. Uh, if traders start to buy puts or buy call, excuse me, if they start to sell puts or buy calls right around that level, then I say, okay, this is confirming, that flow is confirming uh, this support level, right? Because right. suddenly the, the, it's positive delta flow coming into the market. And if it's positive delta flow coming into the market, then then arguably dealers and market makers might have to start buying futures. So right. that that hedging tool is for is very valid for intraday trading and, again, for, uh, for looking for some directional edge. There's a lot of times where we'll see call buying pick up and then the stock will follow. So it can be a leading indicator, uh, but it can also be a very interesting or useful indicator for determining kind of these, these big uh, highs and lows. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I played with that this week, and I, I like the idea of, like I was flipping it to the put and call so you could see sort of the call line versus the put line. So do you, do you see divergency divergences with that sometimes where, um, and, and I was only looking at SPX or an SPY, uh, yeah. but you, you have that for stocks as well. I'm assuming yep. all the big liquid names, probably Apple, Tesla, yeah, yeah, 130, yeah. 130 names. And we're going to be expanding that shortly. But yesterday was a great example because what happened when the market opened and, and it hit the 450 spider area, uh, huge call selling came in. It was some of the, the most rapid uh, call selling I've seen since we've had that tool and I've had it in beta for uh, coming up on four months now. Uh, so basically what it showed was when the market gapped higher, everybody was like, ooh, just like yourself, right? Great time to sell calls. We're over 4,500, sell calls. And when you sell calls, dealers suddenly got a short future. So, so that you could see that play out in real time through this hero indicator. And it was a great way to sort of say, I think this is what should happen, right? I think that people want to sell calls over 450. And then bam, when you watch the, the hero indicator itself, you could see that's exactly what happened. This, this call selling came in, uh, in, yeah. in pretty good size. Yeah. It reminds me of options flow, which I've kind of tinkered with a little bit. Um, but it, it's, it's shown in a way that it's, it's not just like, this many calls were bought and this expiration, like typical, like typical options yeah. flow stuff. Um, are you looking at more? So, so for like a Tesla and we see the calls and puts, are you looking at like, if they have expirations, they're just on Friday, right? Friday's yeah. week, the weeklies. So when you, are you just looking at that first expiration or is it sort of a cumulative of the, of the expirations over the, is it 30 days or what's your, yeah, I guess question. What, we, we look at all expirations and we okay. look at all trades. And the the difference between our indicator, part of the reason we built it, is because if you are if you want to know what the impact of the options are, we argue that you care about what the how it's going to be hedged, right? Okay. If it is a really big call position, 
we think a big call position is one which means that dealers have to buy a bunch of stock to hedge themselves. Or if there's a succession of a whole bunch of trades, like if someone puts a post up on Wall Street Bets right now about, you know, I don't know what stock, uh, Net, AMC, right? And everyone goes, oh, oh, great idea. We all want to go and buy. You also want to pay attention to a thousand people buying five calls in the same way that you want to pay attention to one hedge fund buying 50,000 calls, right? Right. And okay. so by looking and aggregating that from a Delta perspective, we can figure out how much dealers need to buy or sell and if that's going to impact the stock. If you just look at it on an open interest basis uh, or, or filter out for certain expirations, you might be missing something. So if I buy a million, you know, 10,000 strike calls in Tesla, the market is not going to budget. It's not going to care, right? Because there's just so far out of the money. Yes, it's a lot of contracts, but there's no hedging impact of that. The probability of that trade going in the money is like zero. So it's just arguably just sort of noise, right? And also, if I ignore a really big trade that takes place out, you know, in next January's expiration, I could be missing something, right? It's not often that something takes place out there, but if suddenly some big, you know, fund comes out or Nancy Pelosi gets her big you know, yeah. checkbook out and buys, you know, 20,000 Roblox calls uh, deep in the money, <laughs> that could move the stock, right? And so that is what you arguably, in our view, want to care, care about, right? If you, yeah. if you and, and it's a lot just to monitor. If you bring up a lot of these tools that just show you every single options print, you know, your eyes kind of glaze over and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? How do I keep a running tally of what's taking place? How do I figure out what's important? Well, we'd argue that, yeah, you want to look at the delta and you want to look at, the aggregate delta to figure out is there actually hedging pressure from this right uh, and not only that the bigger a delta of a trade you know the more meat there is to the trade right so if you're going to buy a, an at the money call your view from a sentiment perspective is is much arguably stronger than someone who's going to buy one sort of 30 percent out of the money call right right uh, so that delta helps you, to weight sort of how serious people are yeah i know you know some of the I, I don't want to use the term options flow. I, some other things I've looked at, especially with indexes, um, the I guess with stock. Do you think? I, do you think it with stock? It it's more. I don't want to say accurate, but more accurate because you know as a as the index goes up, uh, you could also see the hedging. So you might see the yeah. puts go up with it. Is that? Do you think that's the case? Um, you know, yeah, with, with that type of flow, like. You think it's better used for stock? I guess that's what I'm asking. I don't think it's necessarily better or or worse to use. I think there there are times where the flow seems to be a little bit strange. Like if I look at it this morning, um, it I can see that there is put selling and call buying in the market right now in spiders. And despite that, the 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 futures are about 10 or 15 handles lower than when this flow sort of kicked on. Yeah. And I think that what happens in these instances, particularly in the indexes, you get volatility traders coming into the market because the VIX is so high, it, excuse me, it initiates this other type of flow. Right. Okay. These are the vol shops that are playing volatility, right? They're going to buy options. They're going to get long vol and options, and then they're going to short futures against it. Right. Um, and so it's a different kind of flow than someone who's purely being a directional trader. And okay. so there are these times where you sort of have to sanity check the data that you're seeing, right? Why is it that, that the hero flow is going up? Is it because 
There's an, another piece of news. Obviously, not all flow and, and stocks aren't continuously driven by options all time. I think in the mm-hmm. spiders and the SPX is pretty persistent. Uh, but there's other times where the flow turns on or off because suddenly people are trading options on any given day for a for a stock, right? But but obviously not all moves are driven by options. So you have to sanity check some of this stuff and figure out okay, why is it that I'm seeing what I'm seeing? I'll give you another example, which is pretty interesting in Netflix. And we saw this yeah. in Facebook and PayPal. Uh, obviously, Netflix was crushed after earnings. It's down 30%. Right. So let's say that you had to put a trade on uh, in Netflix, right? The day after, the morning after, you know, I'm sitting here with you and I'm forcing you to put an options trade on. Mm. You know, what kind of trade would you look to put on from a probability perspective? Me? Oof, I, I stay away from those big moves, but uh, I would I would be a seller of volatility, right? If it's that, yeah, it's exactly yeah. the answer I was looking for. I'm like, yeah. you don't you you don't want to buy options in that situation because vol is so high, and 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 even if you're right directionally, it, it yeah. it's a very strong likelihood it's not going to pay off in either direction. So the seller of volatility is arguably uh, the right way to go there, right? Yeah, and you can sell puts there. Uh, and or you could sell calls. And what's so fascinating is every single, not on every single one of these drops, but these huge drops, these 30% drops in Facebook, PayPal, Netflix, all the same characteristics of very heavy call selling immediately when those stocks opened. And that's a bizarre uh, strategy in a way, right? Because why are you going to unload all of your calls into a big drop on these stocks? And then why would that flow persist through the day? It was not flow that looked like it was people who were already long calls that were like dumping them, trying to just recoup some funds. Right. It was clear that this was traders selling volatility, right? They're, they're shorting vol probably and arguably through buying the stock. And if you think about it, that trade in some ways makes sense. You want to sell a call and buy the stock. Well, the call is so expensive, it pads you if the market does go lower in some ways, right? And obviously the vol trader is going to be continuously hedging. So, But but just from a P&L perspective, if you're sort of a retail trader, well, if I have an expensive, I'm selling basically an expensive covered call, right? And that trade is, right. is arguably one of the smarter ways to play it. Hmm. And so when you're looking at the flow in Netflix, for example, um, if you saw people, you would think people would be buying back puts, right? That You'd think that would be a real dominant flow there. Because if I was short Netflix and it gapped down 30%, I want to sell that put on the open because I'm trying to take advantage of the elevated implied volatility. But again, the, the dominant flow was call selling. And you go, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the when you first think about it. But then when you go, okay, why would someone want to do that? Oh, elevated implied volatility, et cetera, et cetera. And so you get a you get another understanding of the flow that may impact those stocks. I would also note consequently, you don't get these big V bottoms. I think a lot of times that you see a 30% drop, a lot of people are trying to pay, play a dip in these stocks. Mm. But when you see the big heavy call selling come in, which I think again mm. is driven by these volatility funds, you don't get that same you know, recapture yeah. or dead cap bounce. Interesting. So do you think do you think they're selling those calls because they already they already own stock? They're basically just No, I trying- think they initiate the trades. I think they initiate arguably the trades when 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 you get this drop, right? Because mm. it, you know, whether you want to offset that volatility uh, against index volatility. I mean, these are very yeah. sophisticated traders. I just think that in general, like, you know, you, when volatility spikes like this, it's going to draw, particularly in a mega cap stock where there's a lot of liquidity. I think it's hard to do, you know, to put on big size if you're a hedge fund in some very small name, 
you know, that moves a lot. And look, well, I'm going to have too much impact if I'm trading, right? But it'd be very hard to arguably have too much impact in like a Netflix because it's so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mega cap. And it is a similar thing where arguably the best trade through the GameStop AMC saga was selling puts. The vol was so high because the stocks were crashing up essentially. Right. And you could sell puts in AMC and GameStop for almost six months. And if the stock came down, implied volatility would drop and your puts would make money. And, and for a right. lot of people, that's so counterintuitive. Yeah, um, and, and it is. But, but yeah, it's counter. Know, it, it would have been counterintuitive for me to be selling <clears throat> calls on the Netflix drop because I would, I would be afraid of that. Maybe not a full V bottom, but the snapback, right? And, you know, we've been trained to buy the dip and that's kind of the opposite of that, right? You're basically suppressing it down. Like you're saying it's going to stay down. Like, you know, if you're selling calls, I guess you could probably sell, you know, pretty far out of the money if you don't think yeah. it's going to recover. But well, And depending on the um, level of implied volatility too, if yeah. if the stock bounces at all, then implied vol will drop heavily, right? And, and your call, even if you're, even if directionally Netflix goes higher, uh, then yeah, you, you could still make some money back. So, you know, it, it, when you're when you're a fund and you have you know automated trading systems that can manage your deltas and and your vegas and do all these different things and you're mm-hmm. you know adding strips of calls and netflix higher i mean there's so many more sophisticated levels yeah. of things that that someone like that can do just from an operational perspective i would agree with you like if i had gunned ahead excuse me and i had to trade on that day i'd probably look to sell put spreads too like that would be the default yeah. thing that i would do from you know my personal retail perspective right yeah um, well if you if you were willing to own it lower you know um you know sell you know if you're willing to buy the stock um it's already down 30% i mean if you and that, this is where you get into what your you know fundamental thesis is but from yeah. but but essentially you want to be a seller i i just don't <laughs> I stay away from those things when they, yeah, uh, and, I mean, none of those stocks still to this day. I mean, the, you know, Facebook hasn't bounced at all. And I mean, yeah. I, I don't know that I can't recall a time when a, a, a stock as big as Netflix dropped back to back earnings 30%. I mean, I'm yeah. sure someone somewhere knows that data, but I mean, that is, you know, it's a different market these days. Um, I think yeah. we're all, we've all been lulled into this idea that, that dips get bought every time. And, uh, and there's environments where that doesn't happen. And, and yeah, we, we appear to be in one of those environments. So, uh, so there, there was, it reminds me, there was this um, term, uh, I want to, it was years ago, I haven't seen it in a while, is the PPT, the plunge protection team. Yeah. <laughs> and um, is, is that, the, does that, does that not exist anymore? What was the Fed, the PPT? That was like the, that was like the rolling, uh, the rolling joke now is that yeah. uh, Brainard, Fed Brainard bought the Fed put because, you know, every time she comes out now, and says yeah. something, the market would just sort of drop, kind of like yesterday, right? You know, mm. the Fed's behind the curve, and and it's like these guys own the put now. They want the market to to drop. Yeah. Um, well, it's it. You know, and this is where you just get into conspiracy, right? But like, you know, they're at the end of the year, they started talking about how politicians. You mentioned Pelosi, so I was bring it up, but how politicians um, shouldn't be holding individual stocks, and and the, apparently the Fed guys were you know, yeah. had some stocks day, in there. Literally day trading. Yeah. So now, now that they're out and, you know, is it really rates or is it really them? Now they're not, you know, like, is it both or what? But uh, there's one more question I, I want to get out of you before we go. I know we were coming up on an hour here, but talk to me real quick about the equity hub because I haven't, haven't gotten into that. I, I pulled up one graph and I saw a chart, but tell me a little bit about how yeah. um, I can use that. 
so the equity hub is designed just like our other products and in the, in the, in the goal is to provide an estimate for volatility in a stock as well as key support and resistance lines as well okay. for single stocks. So you can look at over 33,000 different stocks, excuse me, and we show you where the big options positions are concentrated. So in general, we look at those as support and resistance lines. And then we also show you how big of a position is set to roll off at every expiration. And the general idea there is when big concentrated options positions are set to expire, that leads to a change in, in trend or volatility in, in a name. So for example, if uh I don't know, stock, like in Netflix, right? If a whole bunch of puts are set to expire this Friday, then we think that could provide an interesting opportunity for a rally for next week, simply off of these, uh, off of the uh, dealer hedging mechanics. So that's a very quick and dirty. Um, yeah. Do you think that those support and resistance level or the, the, the large concentration of positions, do you think that those are also magnets for price? Like, um, you know, so one of the things I, that I've been, done off and on is is butterflies um mm -hmm. and really more like i don't try to pick a pin but i if we're if we've rallied a lot and i know there's a lot of open interest below i might just do a butterfly because you get them really cheap and yeah it doesn't always pin but you can at least get yeah. a move in your favor so is that do you find that the those those strikes act as magnets is that a thing or without a doubt and and okay. the, the 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 most interesting way to play a lot of these and it was it was it worked very well last year. This year is a little bit trickier, obviously, because we're the market tends to go down. But what you would see is on Mondays you would get a rush of speculative call buying in all the meme stocks, right? Uh, yeah. Name the memes: SoFi, Robinhood, AMC, etc. And you could watch that the flood of calls would typically go into the closest Friday's expiration. So generally what happens, you get a ramp in those stocks on Monday and Tuesday. You could see the call buying come in. You could see in the equity up tool that it was heavily concentrated. It's like, you know, on Monday, the most concentrated position would be out, say, four weeks, right? But then on Tuesday, because of the rush of short-dated call options, it, it would show us Friday would be the most concentrated position. And mm -hmm. if you think about, we talked before about how a call decays over the week, right? You could see that every day that these calls would get closer to decay, the stock would start to mean revert and it would mean revert into what we call the big gamma strike. So the, the key gamma strike is where most of the options are concentrated. And, and we weight it by gamma uh, because gamma sort of is highest for short dated at the money option. So that would be essentially the pin level for a Friday. And okay. basically, if you think about it, what happens is if so the I... Sorry, the gamma yeah. level you think is, is an opportunity for a pin level. Is that... Is that what I heard? Yeah, and, and, it, okay. and, it, and, it, and you have to think about a different time frames, right? So on Tuesday, let's say that it's Tuesday and Friday we know, you know that this is where the most uh, biggest options position is going to be concentrated. And so on Tuesday, everyone is buying AMC calls, and we can see that's taking place. The hero shows it. Uh, we could just look at, the, at your brokerage system and see how active the Friday calls are, and the stock is up a bunch from that, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at where the key gamma strike is or where most of the uh, opportunities taking place – You'll see like on, so let's say that AMC is at, I don't know, $25 today. I don't know where it is. And let's say that the key gamma strike for Friday is at 20. I would look at oftentimes uh, playing a trade that would, like a fly, a, a put fly sometimes, uh, look at a trade that would play mean reversion back down into that strike, back down to that $20 key gamma strike. And the reason is, if you think about it, as traders pile into short dated options, they ramp up the implied volatility of those options. Those calls get so expensive 
and this happens very quickly, you know, even in the course of just a few hours, that they're, the, the odds of them paying off are almost like zero, right? And also they become very sensitive to time decay. So if you believe that as all these traders buy AMC calls and dealers are selling AMC calls, every day that passes, because it gets so expensive, those calls start to rapidly decay. And so dealers who were buying short, uh, who were buying long shares, right? Because dealers mm -hmm. are short, short calls, they're buying stock to hedge themselves. As those calls decay, dealers suddenly go, oh, I had, let's say, a million shares of AMC before as a hedge. Now I only need 750,000 shares right. to sell. Wow. Next day advances, they go, oh, that call is only worth uh, you know, a dollar now. I only need 250,000 shares. They sell more. And, they're, and that flow shuts off when the calls go worthless, right? The calls go worthless uh, as we move you know, closer and closer to expiration. So it's this function of time decay. Mm -hmm. uh, which is charm essentially is how we measure that and charm tells us okay exactly how much dealer delta hedging will change based on time passing so again as you can mentally picture your call decaying well imagine being short that call and picture it decaying and say okay well if i had 100 shares to hedge myself on tuesday if the call loses let's say 25 percent of its value by tomorrow then i mm -hmm. need just for dirty math, 25% less shares, right? right? And then right. If the call loses another 50%, well, I need 50% less shares. And you could see how that can result in sort of this pinning. Yeah. So cheap, wow. you know, cheap butterflies, cheap cheap positions of, of playing, uh, you know, the, the move back down into these big strikes on this cycle of weekly decay. And it mm -hmm. works on a monthly basis, right? You just zoom it out a little bit more. Yeah. Um, if you know where the big options are positions, if you know where those positions are concentrated, um, then I think those can be very effective ways. And, and maybe you're only right on, you know, one out of three, but the time that you're right, it, it pays off very well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Wow, man. Well, this has been super awesome. You're a smart dude. And um, I appreciate you coming on and, and getting me up to speed. I'm going to keep diving into your content uh, over at Spot Gamma. What's the best way for my listeners to connect with you? Um, I don't know if you're on social media or yeah. website. Um, let, let us know. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. So uh, spotgamma.com, we offer a seven day free trial. Just click subscribe now at the top. Uh, it is free. You get access to uh, any of the tools that we mentioned today. I'm at spotgamma on Twitter. So I'll answer uh, DMs or whatever messages you may have there. And then lastly, I do a lot on YouTube. For example, you can see the Tesla trades yeah. we were talking about yesterday. So we'll respond to any comments you leave on that channel. Uh, so I, again, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with your listeners today and talk with you, obviously. And yeah, we can do it again. Yeah, I definitely recommend um, people, if you're not on Twitter, uh, definitely go check out the YouTube channel. There's some great videos, great explanations. You've had some great interviews with um, some other people on there just talking about this stuff. So again, thanks a lot, Brent. And uh, we'll talk to you later. I appreciate it. Thanks so much.